Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. The following program is a production of Chilling Entertainment and the creative team at Chilling Tales for Dark Nights and a proud member of the Simply Scary Podcast Network. Visit simplyscarypodcast.com to learn more about this and our other weekly storytelling programs and become a patron today to show your support and get instant access to our extensive archive of downloadable ad-free tales of terror. Thank you for listening, and enjoy the show. (laughs) Good evening. I'm storyteller Otis Gyre, and I ain't your grandfather. From where I'm from, we don't do bedtime stories. And if that's what you were expecting, you're in the wrong place. If it's terrifying tales you're after, well then, I've got just the thing. Get comfortable, settle in. Turn off the lights, if you dare. Your night is about to get a whole lot darker. (laughs) Who needs sleep anyway? (laughs) Our first tale for tonight comes from author Dustin Kosky entitled My Last Camping Trip. One day in September of 1983, we decided to go on a patrol camping trip so that we'd get some prizes at the end of the year. Our scout troop owned a campsite up on top of a big rocky hill, It was just our rotten luck that when we agreed to meet to start the camp out, there had been a steady rain going on all day that it didn't look like it was going to stop for hours. But our parents were all either going away for the weekend or thought rain was no reason to cancel a camping trip. 
Anyway, it was just barely going to be warm enough for this to be our last chance to have a patrol camp out that year. There were four of us trudging up, well, one of the thin paths on the hill with our limited gear under dismal green ponchos. Me, Eric, Tony, and Sam in that order. We were miserable and irritable, except for Tony. We had reached a point where we enjoyed hurting Tony. Tony was one of those kids that get put into Boy Scouts of America only because they have a parent that wants free babysitting. I imagine most of the time, his mom mostly talked to him by yelling at him, and the only way he knew to relate to the rest of us was to annoy us. He was also the youngest guy in my patrol, and the shortest, so it was fairly easy for us to bully him, especially when we thought he was doing his best to bring it on himself. I think Tony was delighted that the rest of the patrol was already on edge, so it would be easier for him to get a rise out of us. At that moment, he had decided to focus on Eric. Eric was a real goody-goody most of the time. He was a pretty good athlete and an A student. I'm pretty sure that at 15 he'd never had sex, a puff of anything, or any booze. But he loved beating on Tony as much as the rest of us did. That seemed to be his only vice, and frankly, it kept the guy from creeping me out by being too perfect. He'd certainly looked ready to give someone a beating when I glanced back at him during that little hike. Hey, Eric, Tony said. I glanced back over my shoulder. Tony had run up next to Eric like a puppy dog because he knew otherwise Eric would ignore him. There was barely enough room on the path for him to do that if he turned himself sideways. What? Eric said. I can read your mind. Sometimes Tony would be weird or still like a little kid when he pestered us. Okay, Eric said. I looked forward again. Think of a number. I can guess it. Tony was pitching his voice up. Okay, Eric said. It's 30, Tony told him. No. Oh, you're just saying that. Really, I was right, wasn't I, huh? Wasn't I? From the sound of the ponchos rustling, I assumed Tony began to push against Eric. He would do that for minutes on end if you'd let him. Sometimes he might even start humping your leg if you were another scout. Get away from me, Eric said. I didn't see it, but it was obvious even before I turned around what had happened. Eric thoughtlessly pushed Tony away, just wanting the little creep off him. As narrow and slippery as the trail was, he had pushed Tony off of it. Tony screamed as he went down the very steep portion of hill, almost catching several trees before having his legs tripped out from under him by a stump. The stump was unfortunately only a little uphill from a large sandstone rock. Tony went into it head first with the sound of a loud crack. I stared at him for half a minute or so then, and he didn't so much as twitch from what I could see. Oh my God, Sam said after a long silence, which seemed to snap the rest of us out of it. Let's go help him. Yeah, I said. Back then, this meant running down there to carry him to the nearest house out of the park since cell phones for kids were, you know, still decades off. 
I tried to start down the trail, but Eric was still standing in the way. He turned to me. We gotta tell people what happened, right? Sam stopped and looked over at us. Eric looked down at him. We need to tell everyone that he slipped and fell, got it? We've got to help Tony, Sam shouted. And we will, Eric said, but first we need to be clear that we're going to tell everyone that he fell, right? You got me, that, that's what we tell everyone. I don't know, he said. I didn't see it happen. Eric looked and at me and nodded. That seemed good enough for him. Then he looked back at Sam. You pushed him. We have to help him, Sam said in bewilderment. Sam had never been the cleverest guy in the patrol, but I would have thought he'd have the sense to play along under the circumstances. We will, Eric responded. But first, I need you to say that you'll tell everyone that he slipped and fell. I nodded desperately at Sam, gesturing for him to tell Eric what he needed to hear so that we could get down there to try to help Tony. No, Sam said. Eric stared at him. All right, Eric said, let's go. We walked quickly, not about to run for fear of slipping and falling like Tony just had. It wouldn't have done you much good anyway, Sam said after a little while, apparently trying to help Eric feel better. Tony would still have told everyone you tried to kill him no matter what. Yeah, but that's Tony. Who would have cared if the rest of us had our stories straight? Eric answered, his voice flat. He seemed to speed up from behind Sam. Which way do you think would be the fastest to... Hey! Eric grabbed Sam. Sam yelled as Eric dragged him to the edge of the path. Say it! Eric shrieked. Say it! That you'll tell everyone that he slipped! Eric sounded more scared than he did intimidating as he held Sam at the edge of the path, seemingly ready to let it go and let him fall. Screw you! Sam yelled and began to flail. He hurt Eric more than I would have expected, judging by how Eric grunted. Maybe it was just pure adrenaline, but Sam got free somehow and began pushing him to the other side of the trail, right into a cliff. Jesus Christ, stop fighting, I yelled at him. I might as well have been speaking Chinese. I took a few steps closer and saw there was murder in both their eyes, so I stepped back. Sam got his hand on Eric's chin and pushed his head into the rocks behind him as hard as he could. Eric was really trembling then, like an old man with Parkinson's. It was as if he was experiencing a panic attack in the middle of a fight. Even so, he wasn't going to just take Sam's beating. He grabbed Sam again and kind of picked him up like Sam was a tackling dummy and then charged forward blindly, Sam's poncho over his face. He misjudged the distance to the edge of the path and both Sam and he went rolling down the hill. They struck trees with sickening noises as they fell to a level area. They were much more fortunate than Tony. I could see their movements and hear them screaming when they stopped falling down the hill but neither of them even tried to get up. I walked as quickly, as safely as I could, down the trail, and then looked back round to where Eric and Sam were. Both were yelling for my help at first, but as I proceeded down the trail, Eric abruptly went quiet. My leg's broken, Sam told me as soon as he saw me arrive where they'd fallen. The bone's sticking out. It was true, his poncho had folded up and I saw the bulge in the lower left pant leg beneath the knee. 
Blood had soaked through his pants with the rainwater. Hey, Eric said flatly. Lack of emotion made me look over at him as Sam screamed at both of us. I think I hurt my spine. I can't move my legs. I can't feel them. From what I could see of how his body was twisted, that might well have been possible. I didn't know then how Eric could be so emotionless about it. But in hindsight, of course, he was in shock, if not in psychological denial. All right, guys. I'll go do what I can for Tony, and then I'll get help for everyone, I said. Sam screamed at me that that was the wrong thing to do, that I should leave the park to get help immediately. For all my first aid training, I didn't know if either of us were right. I thought there maybe was something I could do with the first aid kit for Tony whose injury had seemed the most severe. Maybe Tony had vomited, and I had to clear his breathing passage. I had to check on him. I tried to reassure them before leaving. Sam swore at my back as I ran over to Tony, while Eric remained quiet. I ran to where I'd seen Tony's head hit the rock. I had walked by it on hikes and camping trips numerous times, and knew the rocks and trees. I had seen the rock that Tony had hit his head on numerous times, and knew when I'd reach it. When I did, I froze for what felt like minutes. Tony was gone. There was no sign he'd been there except for some blood that had pulled by the rock where he'd struck his head. It was still wet and red on the sandstone. I looked around and called for him. I ran a short distance each way around the rock. I didn't see a sign of him. Not a footprint in mud, not a drop of blood, anything. I noticed something else as I searched. Sounds seemed to be fading away. I could hardly hear the rain around me. I couldn't even hear my footsteps in the shallow puddles on the ground. Couldn't even hear Sam, although I had seconds before. My own voice seemed muffled to my ears. I'd been afraid before, but I'd never known the sound to fade away like that. I began to feel something, not the feeling you get when you're being watched, but the one you get when someone you fear is standing right over you. I turned, and there was no one there, of course. The feeling didn't let up. It, it seemed to grow stronger and stronger. There was nothing to hear, not even my own breathing or the beat of my heartbeat. I ran back to where I had left the other two scouts as fast as I've ever run towards anything. Slowly, I could hear again that Sam was still screaming in pain and cursing out Eric. Eric barely moved his head to look at me when I arrived. Sam went quiet when I told him of Tony's disappearance. How? was all Sam could think of to say. I felt that sensation again of a presence all around me again. It was faint but noticeable. I don't know. Sam, how are your arms? Can I carry you out of here? Pack straps down? I had two years and 18 inches of height on Sam, so I knew I could carry him out. Sam said I would. Whatever presence I was feeling, he seemed aware of it too through his pain, and he didn't need to be sold on being taken out of the park, painful though it would surely be. I got my first aid kit out and acted quickly, left my pack on the ground and hastily made him a splint 
He screamed as I lifted him up on my back. Wait, what about me? Eric asked, some emotion back in his voice. I glanced over at him. His eyes were wide and his skin was becoming pale. I can only carry one person. We'll get you help as fast as we can. But what if whatever made Tony disappear? Looking back on Eric, I find it hard to fault him now. He was just a kid. He'd made a mistake, meaning only a little, if any, harm. The smaller amount of harm that he'd all inflicted on Tony time and time again. Then he'd seen all his life, all his accomplishments, his future, all about to be tarnished because of what he'd accidentally done to someone we all mostly thought of as dirt. He overreacted, like probably many of us would back when we had little life experience, and perspective of a guy in his lower teens. But at the time, I just glared at him for a second as he lay twisted and helpless on the ground, reaching up to me. Maybe you deserve it, I told him. I turned my back on him and began carrying Sam out of the park. Hey, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to hurt Tony. I wasn't going to drop Sam. I was bluffing. I'm sorry. I'll do anything you want if you get me out of here. I'll give you everything. Please, don't leave me alone. What was that? There's there's something out here. Come back, please. I swear that I'll do anything. Please, please, come back. His voice faded quickly, and the sound of rain and Sam's pain resumed. As I walked, the feeling of that presence faded as well. I had almost a mile to go in the rain before we would be at a house with a phone, and Sam was moaning and winching practically with every step. I made slow, frustrating progress for a few hundred yards before I slipped and landed heavily on my left knee. Sam screeched in my ear after his upper chest hit my shoulder. I think I broke a rib back there. You can't carry me out like this. I didn't know how he could have broken a rib and only started to feel it now, but I wasn't about to argue. As carefully as I could in my anxiety, I placed him on the ground in a sitting position and switched the carrying style to firefighter style so that he was mostly over my shoulder. Is that better? I asked him when I hoisted him back up. He had winced again as I held him up. It still hurts, but it's better. We rounded a curve on the trail and were approaching a fairly gentle slope where the parking lot was situated. I thought of it then as the end of the park. Sam had begun to feel easier to carry, so I felt then I was able to make it out of the forest. I remember that since I'd been in the park many times before, and even with another scout on my back, being carried like this, who was constantly voicing his pain, things were coming back to normal. Whatever feeling I'd experienced over where I had thought Tony disappeared was going away. Things began to feel so normal that the idea Tony had just gotten up and walked away and emergency services would soon find him was believable. I guess what I felt then was that all I had to do was carry Sam, and then it would be up to the adults to take care of all of this. Oh, Jesus, Sam said suddenly, quietly. Run, 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 for the love of God, run! Before I could ask or turn to see what I was to run from, he struck me as hard as he could on the side. He did this again and again, even after I started running. 
It was difficult to run even a few steps with such a heavy, awkward weight. It became easier when I noticed something that was already too familiar. Sam's voice became quieter even as he thrashed and screeched more shrilly on my back. He might have said what it was or described anything about it, but within seconds he was as muted as my silent steps in the puddles on the pathway. I reached the bottom of the incline. Sam was convulsing then, which I felt was a sign that whatever I was trying to flee was getting closer. He was still hitting me in the side, but it was weaker and more erratically. The path up the hill was full of loose rocks and gravel. In weather like this, it was impossible to keep a solid foothold, but by some miracle, I was able to run up it and maintain a hold on him, even as he practically seemed to be trying to break free, and I was trembling. I remember thinking that I faintly heard something then, something like a splash. That, that had to be a good sign. Halfway up the hill, I felt a horrible sensation in my feet. They were going numb. I remember not understanding why, and even with all the momentum I had built up, my feet landed awkwardly, like I had slipped on ice, but still landed on my feet. I barely had time to feel pain in my ankles because they went numb as well. I was barely able to stumble forward before the numbness climbed up to my knees. My legs were useless then. I fell forward practically face first. Sam got free even with his fractures, flipped over and crawled up the hill. I tried myself. I could feel the numbness had reached my ribcage by then, but dragged myself across the rocks. I remember perfectly the sight of Sam dragging himself too while twitching and trembling as he crawled. A force hit the back of my head that felt like a construction beam dropped from a crane. My face went into the ground, rocks stabbing onto my cheeks hard enough to break the skin, and I seemed to lose all fight and flight instinct. I just lay there like a breathing corpse, and even if I hadn't been numb, I didn't have any energy, any hope, any understanding of what was happening to me. I didn't even have the courage to lift my hood up and see what was happening around me. I don't know how long I lay there. The numbness left me, but I still didn't lift my hood. So little light was coming in under my hood that night might have fallen, and I wouldn't have been able to tell. A long time later, the rain stopped. A longer time after that, I began to hear again. I heard birds tweeting, cars driving by from what sounded like miles away. I didn't move. After a long time of only hearing the sounds of nature... I heard footsteps approaching me. They stopped suddenly, and then clearly changed to those of someone running up to me. Are you all right? An old man, whose name I don't remember, said as he leaned over and pulled my hood back. I looked up at him, rock still stabbed into my face. He winced as he saw it. Christ, kid, what happened to you? I don't know, I said still don't know. Don't want to. I know that Eric, Tony, and Sam were never found, nor was any trace of anything that might have made them disappear. I learned even that reluctantly. Look for answers? Hell, I don't even go near forests any longer. Staying away from forests isn't enough. I've developed a need for sound, always. 
After a minute without the hearing of something, I feel anxious. Sleeping without it is impossible. If whatever got my fellow scouts comes for me, I want as much warning as I can get. That brings me to the reason I'm sharing this. Lately, even with music at full volume and me screaming my lungs out, I've been experiencing minutes of silence. At home, at work, out driving, even when gone on visits, I've been experiencing it. It's been many years since the end of my last camping trip, but it seems like I'm about to feel that presence again. When it wants, I believe it will make me experience a silence that will never end. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Our final story for this evening is brought to us by author Anansi, entitled The Goatman. I was 16 and had family down in Alabama. They're farmers and they own a huge amount of land in Huntsville. My uncle owns a big house and a bunch of trailers they put out in the woods for hunting and camping. While I was down south, my cousins suggested we go out camping for a few days. We get to the camp, and it's obvious something is wrong. The air has a strange electric ozone-like smell, like right before a storm. We don't think much of it, and unpack and go down to a little nearby creek to swim for a few hours. 
All of a sudden, some older white guy and a white teenager come out of the bushes. He has a shotgun in the crooked of his arm and says hello. He asks what we're doing this far back in the woods. I tell him about my uncle, who he knows, and say we're camping out. He tells us we need to be real careful out here and stick together because there's a big animal in the woods. His son, who is my age, asks if he can hang out with us. His dad says, okay. We end up playing football and screwing around. There's me, the white kid Tanner, five of my cousins and four of their friends. Five girls and six boys. We're all about 15 to 17. We ended up just wasting the day away and then went back to the camp to set up for a campfire, even though we had trailers with kitchenettes. Tanner said he wants to run home and ask his dad if he can come camping with us. His family's property sits up against my uncle's. My cousin, Rooster, says he's going to go with him since it's getting pretty dark. One of the girls says she's going to tag along. At this point, it's about 7 p.m., and it's getting dark, pretty dark. They take flashlights and head off on the trail toward Tanner's property, and the rest of us just chill, make some mores, drink, and hit on the girls. About 30 or 40 minutes later, there's the smell of ozone again. It was so strong, you could smell it over the scent of the fire we had going. It's really nasty, iron-like smell, like you get after you've had a nosebleed. It wasn't exactly like dried blood, but it was that strong, metallic, back-of-your-throat smell. We immediately think that it's some kind of electrical malfunction, or someone left a hot plate on or something. We search the trailers and nothing's on, but we can all smell it. All of a sudden, we hear people booking down the road towards us. Rooster, Tanner, and the girl all come running into the clearing out of breath. They don't even break stride. They all just run into the trailer next to where the fire is. We all rush out of there and get into the trailers. They end up coming down a bit, but even Rooster is bawling his eyes out. Meanwhile, the fire is getting lower and lower, so my other cousins tell us to forget it, and they're about to go inside and start up the generator. Tanner says, Hell no! It locks the front door. Ain't nobody else going outside. He's been crying, too, and his eyes are bloodshot and puffy, and his pants are incredibly dirty. He goes on to tell us that they went up to his house and that his father said it was okay for him to go out camping. He just needed to make sure they were careful on their way back, and maybe they should take one of the hunting rifles just in case. Evidently, Tanner had seen something in their yard a few days before, and then one of their pigs had turned up ripped in half and eaten. They assumed it was just some big cats or coyotes, even though they don't usually mess around with live animals. He'd gone upstairs and packed his stuff and told his dad they'd be okay without the rifle because coyotes avoid people. So they started the walk back towards where we were camping. Rooster finally stops crying and shaking, and the girl had stopped too, but she was just staring out the window in a stupor. He says they had gotten halfway into the woods toward the camp when they started to hear strange sounds in the forest. It was almost pitch black by this time, so they weren't sure what it was. The girl said she heard something in the bushes right off the trail and that they all aimed their flashlight beams over there. There was something standing back in the woods in a little hollow. 
Rooster said they'd shouted at whoever it was and told him he was a jerk and was scaring the hell out of him. He said that's when he realized that the guy was facing away from them. So they kept walking and they started to smell the nasty, coppery ozone smell. And they looked off into the forest on the opposite side and see a stranger standing in the forest backwards, but this time he's slightly closer to the path. So now they start power walking, and Tanner keeps saying he should have taken the rifle. As they're telling the story, the smell is still super strong, even inside the trailer. They say, after they started walking faster, that a kind of low, gibbering sound had started coming out from both sides of the woods. They booked it back to the trailer. The girl said she flashed her flashlight out into the woods to the side of the trail and had seen something darting through the forest and that the gibbering got louder and louder. By the time they could see the light from the campfire, something had come out of the woods and was just 40 yards behind them on the trail, so they ran flat out as hard as they could to the trailer. So we're out of the woods, and at this point we're assuming it's some rednecks messing with us. All of a sudden, my other cousin, Junior, starts going on about how he went to school with a Native American kid that was telling him about something called the Goat Man. We promptly tell him to shut up, because the last thing we need is some spooky story at this point. But he keeps on going on and on about how it's the Goat Man and how we're in his woods and blah, blah, blah. Now, at the time, I'd never heard of the Goat Man or any of that. But a couple of years ago, the year before I graduated from college, I had a member of the Minonomy tribe for a roommate, and I ended up asking him about it. To sum it up, it's basically a man with the head of a goat and he can shapeshift and infiltrates groups of people to terrorize them. It's also supposed to be kind of like the Wendigo, and allegedly it's bad mojo to even talk to it, and even worse if you see it. Keep in mind, I I didn't know any of this back when I was 16. So, my cousin is going, The go man is going to come in and get us. The girls are all terrified, and my cousins and I are all trying to figure out if it's just some hillbillies or if it's some sort of animal. All of a sudden, though, the smell just goes away. To this day, I haven't experienced anything like it. Usually, smells fade away or become faint. But this was literally there one second and just gone the next. After an hour, at around 9 or 10 p.m., we've calmed down enough to go back outside and stoke the fire again. We figure it was just some guys trying to freak us out so we don't go back home. Well, we think that if we do, they'll just chase us through the woods or something. Nothing else weird happens that night, and we stay another night. For the main part of the night, nothing happens. At about one in the morning, we're outside getting drunk and telling ghost stories. As someone finishes a spooky story, I don't remember what it was about, the smell comes back, and it is so strong that one of the girls actually starts vomiting. I stand up and could actually feel how clammy the air was, and I say we should get inside. Something wasn't right. We should have just left right then and there. Instead, we all go back inside and stand around. My cousin keeps going on about how it's the goat man. My cousin Rooster tries to shut him up. 
All the while, I'm just feeling that something is wrong, and I can't figure out what it is. We end up sitting in there for a while, and the smell is just as strong. We're terrified, and all huddled together in the camper. We end up cooking brats for everyone, because no one wants to go outside. It's one of those packs with four brats in it, and we have a total of three packs. I grill them up on the stove and give everybody one. I get mine, and after a while, one of my cousins gets up and goes over to the stove to get another. He starts grumbling about how I got two and everybody else got one. I look at him like he's stupid. I tell him everybody only got one because there were only twelve brats, and that if he wants more, he should just open up a new pack and cook some more. That's when the girl that had been with Rooster and Tanner just starts screaming. Oh, Jesus! Oh, Lord, get out! She's crying and shivering, and it dawns on my cousin, who is standing nearby, what was wrong. Me and him both glance around the room, and then I feel my heart sink. I run out of the cabin, and the girls run out with us. The trailer door bangs against the side of the trailer as everybody books it out of there. One of my cousin's friends asks us what's wrong. I start counting us, and there are only eleven. I kid you not. My cousin verified. Just moments ago, there had been twelve people in the trailer. Being that everybody didn't really know each other well, nobody had really noticed the whole time that there was an extra person. Then I realized earlier that I had kind of noticed something was off. You know how sometimes when you're just messing around having a good time, you don't sweat the small stuff? In those moments, you don't always remain aware of your surroundings. But at this point, I'm dead sure that someone else had been in the trailer with us and that they'd been there for at least a day eating right alongside us. What makes it worse is I couldn't figure out which person it was exactly because no one ever interacted with the other person. Well, we're all sitting outside, and the whole time, the girl keeps praying to Jesus. Eventually, we get some big sticks and go back inside the trailer, and there's nobody there. We count again, and there's still 11 people. Everyone gets in the trailer, and we lock the door. We explain what happened, and the girl says that she realized it too, and when she was about to say something, the person sitting next to her grabbed her leg hard and leaned over and said something she couldn't understand. So we were pretty terrified, and we huddled together. I fell asleep. When I wake up, the sun is just coming up, and half the people are asleep, and the other half are packing up their stuff. We want to walk back home, but four people insist on staying until the sun is all the way up. Some of the people think we're just screwing around and still want to stay in the trailers. I just want to get the hell out of the woods. The girl's name is Kiara, the one that said someone had touched her. I asked her if she really thinks it was something bad and not an ordinary person, and she says she just wants to go home and doesn't want to stay out in the woods for another night. So we decide to split people up, and the four that want to go can do so, and I have to stay because I have the keys to the trailers, and it's my responsibility to lock up since it's my uncle's. I'm downright furious at this point because I feel like people aren't taking the situation seriously. And I definitely don't want to be out in the woods for another night. I spend the rest of the day trying to convince the rest of the people, four guys and four girls, 
that we need to get out of Dodge. Tanner leaves with the other group to fetch a rifle and says he'll be back later. After they took off, that left seven of us at about four o'clock. As 5 p.m. rolled around, Tanner hadn't made it back and we were getting extremely antsy. And the only reason I stopped begging them to go back was because he had claimed he was going to get a gun. It's about 5.30 or so when my cousin, that chose to stay, announced that Kiera is outside. We all look outside and sure enough, she's standing by the fire pit with her back to the cabin. I'm thinking to myself, if she was so scared, why the hell would she come back? And then I get this nasty feeling in my gut. That's also when I noticed the coppery smell had returned, faintly. I can smell just a twinge of it. I tell everyone else about the smell and they respond by laughing at me and ask if I set this all up just to scare them. I give them a stern look. I'm not making this up, I hissed. Why would I play like that? So one of the girls goes outside to get Kiara. She gets halfway to her and stops cold. Kiara starts heaving. I don't know how to describe it. Convulsing? Sort of like if someone with their back turned was laughing without actually making any sound. It was then I realized it was unusually quiet in the woods. Dead silent. This was late September, so usually you could hear large flocks of geese honking or small birds chirping or squirrels chattering. So I step out of the door and tell her to come back in the trailer right now. She backs up a little bit toward the trailer and we lock the door and pull down all the shades except one. We put someone in a chair to keep an eye on her. She stands there for about 20 minutes or so. Then the guy turns to say that she's still there. A second later, there's a huge bang on the door. We all jump and scramble around the living room of the trailer. The pounding is extremely hard. So now my cousin is holding one of the girls... The other two are kind of giggling with nervous laughter. Meanwhile, me and the other two guys are losing it. Then we hear Tanner. He's screaming, Let me in! Stop playing! We go over to the door and open it, and he stumbles in, carrying a rifle. There's no one else outside. As he tells it, his hike through the forest was uneventful, but upon approaching the campsite, he had seen a girl who he said wasn't Kiara standing there motionless. When he had gotten to the edge of the clearing, she had turned toward him with a slack-jaw sort of look and had stared him down, slowly tracking him as he circled the clearing on his way back to camp. He said it wasn't until he was roughly halfway to the trailer that he realized Kiera, or what looked like Kiera, was getting the gap closing between them. She had started off by the fire, and without him even seeing her move, She'd been turning and inching closer. He said he sprinted the rest of the way to the trailer, thinking it would be open. And when he got to the door and it was locked, he turned and it was about half the distance to the door. He looks around the room and then gets super pale. He pulls me to the side and whispers in my ear, You know, there are only six of you in here, right? I felt my stomach sink. It, whatever it was had been back inside the trailer while we were sorting out who was going where. It was playing with us. 
We look out the window and there's nobody out there. So we count everyone again, and then basically I go over and ask everyone how many people were here earlier. Everybody says eight. I ask, how many are here now? Everyone counts and then realizes there are only seven people in the cabin. Tanner had brought back a couple boxes of ammo and his rifle. He told his dad there is some kind of animal in the forest because he didn't think his dad would believe him if he said it was the goat man. He said that his cousin is supposed to be coming down in a few hours and that in the morning we can all go back to his place and that his cousin will drive us home. By then I'm really terrified. But at least I feel a bit better knowing that that's when whatever it is comes back, we can shoot it. Then my cousin gets into a huge argument with one of the girls who is accusing us of trying to prank everyone. My cousin keeps telling her that I'm not that type of person. She asks, How do we know the girl by the fire wasn't just Tanner in a wig? Or if it really is the goat man? How do we know that this is the real Tanner and that the goat man didn't just kill Tanner in the woods and take his gun. Tanner and I make it clear that we could seriously be in danger because, at the very least, someone has been sneaking into our trailer without us knowing and mingling with us. Goatman or not, we weren't safe in the trailer. One of the girls started to cry, saying she wants to leave right now. We're trying to tell her that that's a no-go because none of us are walking through the woods in the middle of the night. At this point, the sun is starting to go down, and it's getting a little cloudy out. We eat something and turn on the radio for a while, but we really can't pick up a decent station out there, so we turn it off at about the time Tanner's cousin, Reese, shows up. The sun is just barely over the horizon, and I see he has one of those heavy-duty lantern flashlights and another rifle. He walks up to the trailer, and we whisper to Tanner, asking if he's sure that's Reese, and he says yes. The guy looks behind him and all around the camp. Then he walks in and kind of glances at all of us and looks a little confused. Reese says, Where's your other little buddy at? If she would meet me up at the trailer. Is she a little slow or something? He also asked what we'd been cooking, because it smelled like hot pans and raw meat all the way up the trail. We ask him, what's he talking about? He'd come down the same trail as Tanner had been using and said he came upon the member of our group standing in the middle of the trail, looking at him slack-jawed. He said he asked her a bunch of questions, but all she did was stare at him and then smiled. He said he kept walking, but she couldn't seem to keep up with him and kept falling behind. He asked if she was hurt, but she just kept staring at him. He kept walking and had turned around a bend in the trail, and when he turned back to check to see if she was keeping up, the trail was empty. He assumed she took a shortcut back to the trailer. We tell him the whole story of what's been going on, and he looks noticeably frightened. Since he was several years older than us, I expected him to say we were full of it. Instead, he listened and then sat down on the couch in the living room. He said when she kept lagging behind, it kind of freaked him out, so he tried to slow down and keep her in front of him. But no matter how slow he walked, she always tagged behind. He also said that from a distance, he smelled a nasty smell 
that got stronger as he got closer to the camp. Eventually it got overwhelming, and he heard the girl, still trailing him, whispering something. He turned to ask her what she said, and found that she had caught up with him, and went to reach out for her to grab her shoulder. But he said he must have misjudged her distance from him, because she was off to the side of where he put his hand. The whole time she kept on staring right at him. At this point we were convinced, unless it turned out that Tanner was playing a joke on us, that what we were experiencing was indeed real. And from the look on Tanner's face, it was pretty clear he was just about ready to pee himself too. So we pretty much ruled out it was being a prank. Tanner and Reese loaded up the rifles and we ate some more. We all sit around until about 11 p.m. To this day, whenever I think about this, I really pray to God that despite the evidence to the contrary, it was in fact some huge prank that my cousins played on me and that they simply never told me the truth. Just after 11, the smell of iron becomes a really nasty, blood-like smell, like the scent of fried blood and singed hair. Tanner and Reese get up and grab their rifles. At the time, we hear a half-knocking, half-clawing sound coming from the door, and I kid you not, there's this voice, and it sounds like the noise cats and dogs make when their owners try to teach them how to mimic human speech. Whoever, or whatever it is at the door, says in a halting, weirdly toned voice, Let me in! Stop playing! It made my blood run cold. One of the girls started crying again. I knew just one thing for certain. It was not a person talking. It didn't have the right cadence, and that's something that I never realized until that moment. All people have a certain cadence when they speak, no matter the language. Whatever was at the door, it didn't have that. I'm in full-on terror mode at this point. We keep yelling to whatever's outside. Who are you? Stop messing around. And it just keeps saying, Let me in. For 15 minutes straight. Then the smell fades a bit, and for the next hour or so, we hear someone creeping around in the woods. Every couple of minutes it comes back to the door and says something, until finally the smell totally fades away at around two in the morning. Reese finally snaps, yelling, Screw this! He removes the safety from his gun, opens the door, and walks outside, rifle in hand. He fires a shot into the air and says something like, In the name of Jesus Christ, go away! He fires two more times. Then from the woods, near the river, across from the trailer, it sounds like something is slowly gibbering and hooting. Then it starts screaming. It sounds muted, something like a woman and a cat screaming together from inside a bag. I've never heard anything like that, and before I had time to think, I heard a rustling in the bushes in the direction of the screaming. Reese fires over into the tree line and starts backing into the trailer. We lock the door and can hear this thing keep on screaming. Reese says something had come out of the brush, really low to the ground, and then it began crawling toward the trailer, and he shot at it. That pretty much was how the rest of the night went. It continued screaming for the next two hours, and we could hear something moving out in the tree line. It didn't reapproach the trailer for a while, not until everyone had fallen asleep. 
Tanner had been sitting in the chair watching the door with his rifle in his hand. Nobody else heard or saw this. He told me two days later after the whole thing was over. He said he had been nodding off after the screaming had stopped. He was almost asleep when he saw someone come out of the bathroom, then lay down in the middle of the floor and go to sleep. He just assumed it was one of us and he nodded off. Then he said he realized something was off, and while pretending to sleep, he counted us. There were nine people in the trailer. He didn't want to try and shoot the thing in the cabin and have it kill us all then and there, or have Reese wake up and start shooting everything in sight. So he stayed awake all night pretending to sleep. He said sometimes it would stand up and move in a bizarre jittery manner or heave like it was laughing. Then it would just lay back down. From my perspective, nothing else happened. We woke up and I noticed Tanner was a nervous wreck and making a conscious effort to avoid looking at anyone. But we ate some breakfast, packed up and started walking to his house. He stayed last in the cabin and said he'd lock up and bring me my uncle's keys. He said to just start walking and he'd catch up. We got a little bit up the path, then he came rushing up and we jogged back to his house. A short while later, Reese took us home as promised. There was a window in the bathroom. When Tanner had gone back to lock up, he said that we had been too stupid to lock the window and it didn't have a screen on it. The window was up when he went in there. I'm guessing that our uninvited guest had been taking advantage of the open window all along. It had waited for us to fall asleep or slip up and then made its move. Tanner told me it walked with us all the way back to his house. Then it fell behind, taking its place at the back of the group, looked him dead in the eyes, and walked into the woods. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Thanks for joining me this week for tonight's regularly scheduled Tales of Terror. You've been listening to Scary Stories Told in the Dark. Tonight's program has been brought to you by Chilling Tales for Dark Nights and yours truly, your host, Otis Jiry. Got a scary tale of your own you'd like performed? I take submissions. Email it to us today at submissions at chillingtalesfordarknights.com for your chance to have me bring your sinister story to life. If you enjoyed what you heard and are joining us on your favorite podcast app, subscribe to us to be sure you never miss an episode and leave us a five-star review and a comment for your chance to be entered into a weekly prize drawing. Your feedback means a lot to us. If you're listening on the Chilling Tales for Dark Nights YouTube channel, Do us a favor and hit the subscribe button and bell notification icon to get more spooky tales from me and the crew and another episode of this program each and every Wednesday. And don't forget to hit that thumbs up button to tell us how we're doing and leave a kind word or a request. If you can never get enough spooky stories and can't wait until next week for more and haven't already, 
Be sure to check out Chilling Tales for Dark Nights on YouTube for more than 500 free audio horror stories, or the Otis Jiry channel, my own digital home away from home, where you'll find dozens of previously released horror and sci-fi stories from yours truly. If you'd like to connect with or support me and CTFDN, visit the Chilling Tales for Dark Nights Facebook page or at their website, ChillingTalesForDarkNights.com, where you can support our programs by becoming a patron and get access to hundreds of stories, all ad-free. As for me, I'll be back next Wednesday with another pair of terrifying tales that'll keep you up all night. Who needs sleep anyway? <laughs> Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com.